0: Live from our nation's capital. and 105.7 FM HD2.
1: Breaking news. Another conversation with Governor Larry Hogan plus President Trump having his daily coronavirus task force briefing. We are monitoring that. All the latest on U.S. China. Ron Bonjean checks in. Partner at Rock Solutions to talk 2020. And Eric Wasson delivers the latest on the stimulus. He's Bloomberg's congressional reporter. IN HIS NEW BOOK, STILL STANDING, REPUBLICAN GOVERNOR OF MARYLAND LARRY HOGAN WRITES THAT MEMBERS OF PRESIDENT TRUMP'S CABINET URGED HIM TO CONSIDER CHALLENGING PRESIDENT TRUMP In the 2020 Republican primary, he writes, quote, the media was also enamored by the idea of a popular Republican governor, a real Republican with a proven record of electoral success going toe to toe with Donald Trump inside the GOP. But cabinet secretaries encouraging me to consider running against their boss, the president. That one surprised me. All right, Governor Hogan, that is a stunning Revelation: How many and which members of the president's cabinet told you mm-hmm. to consider running against him?
4: Well, there were only a couple, but I, and I'm not going to reveal the names because they were private conversations, and I, I certainly wanna, wouldn't want to see a couple of friends be fired from the administration. The uh, only reason I shared it in the book was because it is somewhat of a stunning revelation, and I don't think it comes as any surprise uh, to, to folks that there are people A lot of people in the administration who have sometimes spoken out. You've heard uh, a lot of people that have been concerned about things here and there, but um, I, it was just one small um, thing to mention in the book. It was certainly not a main focus of anything we were talking about. I, I wasn't, didn't have any kind of a serious effort to try to run for president, but a lot of people were encouraging me, and uh, I was very surprised to hear uh, how closely, uh, how close some of these folks were actually in the White House.
1: Well, what, what was the primary motivation behind their wanting, to, wanting you to run? Was it that he would lose the election, competence concerns, or fear of the direction that he's taking the country in?
4: Well, again, I don't want to share too much about personal conversations, but I think it was a little bit about concerns about, uh, you know, losing the election and about, uh, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, we were going to, was he going to, the bottom going to drop out of this thing and and what what was the alternative and, and, uh, you know, could we find someone that would perhaps be able to uh, put together a winning coalition in the fall?
1: You didn't vote for President Trump in 2016. Are you going to endorse President Trump this time, or would you consider endorsing Joe Biden?
4: Well, look, uh, that's a decision that we have from now until November to figure out. Uh, I, um, I'm Right now, I'm chairing the National Governors Association, and I'm sort of uh, prohi- prohibited from uh, getting too actively involved in the partisan politics because I'm representing governors on both sides of the aisle, and we're trying to get things done in Washington. So I'm going to leave that to, uh, to later to figure out.
3: Yeah, Governor, this is Romain Bostic in New York. Well, let's talk about what's going on uh, in Washington, or rather what's not going on. We have those jobless claims numbers that show the jobless claims uh, ticking up uh, for the first time in weeks after seeing a downtrend here. You have the expiration of those supplemental unemployment benefits expiring for a lot of people starting tomorrow, as well as some concerns here about the moratoriums on eviction and other measures designed to keep people at least whole or at least partially whole here as we work through this recession. What do you want to see come out of the legislation that McConnell and other folks down there are working on that's going to help you, help your state, help your residents?
4: Well, the, the, these are uh, it's very important that we get something done and we get this fourth stimulus package through Congress. It's somewhat frustrating uh, that we've got—I talk about this in my book, actually, about I'm frustrated with the divisiveness and dysfunction. Um, it seems like we're back to those same kinds of things again. Um, I, we had a call with all the governors yesterday. We were, we were talking about kind of the things being stalled out in the Congress. I can't really predict uh, what's going to happen. They just came back from a Fourth of July recess. They're going to be leaving again in August. We've got only a couple of short weeks to get all these things resolved. And the governors from both sides of the aisle are pushing to get some action. All the things that you just mentioned are important. We're also, we have been pushing, and we had some commitments before from the White House um, on uh, help us, aid to the states. We're on the front lines trying to provide support, um, and more services to more people that desperately need it. Uh, we had a $500 billion uh, request to, to, to the states. We've already laid off 1.6 million state and local government workers. There's talk about 4 million more being laid off if we don't get this uh, package through. Today, the, the news is that that's not in the Senate Republicans' bill. I'm going to be talking with some of those leaders over the next few days and with some of my colleague uh, governors and see if we can't uh, try to get some, knock some common sense into them and find some kind of common sense bipartisan solutions.
0: And,
2: Governor, not only is there the economic turmoil that you're trying to face, but there's also the pandemic that continues. And how much are you finding it being a help or a hindrance, the White House at the moment, in terms of fending off the uptick that we see in COVID-19 and how much you can
0: help your residents?
4: Well, I, I, I you know, I don't want to just focus on the negative because they have made some improvements in some areas, but we're really concerned about the fact that it's spiking up again around the country. And we heard talk uh, from the White House from the president uh, just in the past few days about cutting funding for testing, which is probably one of the most important things that we can do right now to get a handle on where this virus is and to stop the spread. We've got shortages of testing and and long delays at labs across the country with people waiting up to 10 days. Uh, It's critically important. And um, we're going to have to continue to press uh, the federal government. They've provided some assistance in the CARES Act. Funding has helped an awful lot of people. But uh, we've got to keep working because this virus is by no means behind us, and we need the federal government's help. The, the governors are out there on the front lines doing everything we can, but we need, uh, we need our federal partners to step up and continue to help.
1: That was Governor Larry Hogan speaking to me exclusively, folks, regarding, regarding people urging him from within President Trump's very own cabinet, very own cabinet to tell him to run for president. I I mean, the book is still standing. I got an advanced copy of it. I read it. That part jumped out. Just think of this for a second. Members of President Trump's cabinet that he appointed, that he put on his team, that he sits around with in the Situation Room, urged him, according to Governor Hogan, to run for president of the United States. Now, Governor Hogan ultimately decided against it. But wow, wow. And you know, and kudos to my colleagues, Romaine Bostic and, um, and uh, Caroline Hyde, for, for doing such a good job uh, and, and asking that as well. Let's just reset here. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We are going to cover every angle of what's in the news. Republicans announced their plan today for the economic stimulus, and it's going to send more than $1,200 stimulus checks in August. Laura Davison, Laura Litvin, reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal. The 160 million Americans who got stimulus checks earlier this year would get another payment as soon as next month under a plan being negotiated by Secretary Mnuchin and Leader McConnell. Our proposal is the exact same provision as last time, Mnuchin told reporters Thursday, as he and congressional Republicans work to finalize a series of stimulus bills that will form the counteroffer so, to a plan from Democrats. That means that people who earn up to $75,000 would get $1,200 payment for themselves and $500 for their dependent children. Couples earning up to $150,000 would also qualify. The payment amounts phase down for singles earning up to $99,000 or $198,000 as a couple. Eric Wasson is going to join us. He's going to break it down for us, um, as will Bonjean. But that's going on in terms of the domestic policy. we got to talk about foreign policy. we got to talk about what's going on with the U.S. and China. And that's why I'm thrilled to bring into uh, the equation and to welcome back to our air, uh, Jonathan Spalter. He's the president of U.S. Telecom. And he's going to give us the latest on the 5G battle uh, and Huawei. Okay, yesterday I was telling our audience, Jonathan, about how the consulate closing in Houston, and... Uh, uh, The the Chinese consulate closing in Houston was such a major deal, coupled with regards to uh, the announcement that two Chinese hackers allegedly hacked some COVID-19 research. DOJ filed an indictment. What's going on with Huawei and 5G?
3: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Start your journey at steeple.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L dot com.
0: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
5: Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, the account, the consulate closing, um, the, the hacks, these are all bell cows for, you know, what really is this ongoing debate, Kevin, over 5G security. And the bottom line is that we know that it really is more about Uh, more than about just communications technology. It really does reach right into the heart of uh, key issues and complex issues regarding international commerce, diplomacy, and national security. The bottom line as well is that uh, nobody, the U.S. government, uh, and many other governments, has given companies like Huawei, and by the way, it's not just Huawei, ZTE, a clean bill of health, not here in the United States and recently the U.K. and, and even France. Have uh, decided to to take a, a phase out approach with respect to Huawei network inputs.
1: You know, I uh, find these this, are all big deals. Yeah, they're huge deals, and I think most people don't really necessarily understand it. And that's why I'm so grateful to have you you come on because you mentioned uh, you mentioned Europe. Is the United States doing a good enough job in getting the Europeans on board to secure the five G network?
5: Uh, w- w- the diplomatic
2: apparatus uh,
5: is in full gear, working with you know not only EU uh, counterparts but OECD counterparts, and there is you know an emerging uh, bulwark that, that is saying you know it's it's uh, it's it's not it's my way, not Huawei, <laughs> which <laughs> is to say you've got you know Japan and Australia and New Zealand and some, not all uh, EU uh, countries that are understanding the the looming security threat. Uh, and that's not necessarily measured, you know, if you would talk to more appropriately intelligent sources uh, about potential backdoors. But what we know for sure is that back in 2016, the Chinese government uh, passed its cybersecurity law, uh, went into effect in 2017. And Article 28 of that law makes explicit that the Chinese military and intelligence apparatus can, at their will, require any. Uh, Critical infrastructure industry in China to uh, cooperate with them in uh, pursuing and mitigating national security threats. Well, you know, that's a very broad canvas. And that's one of the reasons why uh, our uh, telecommunications enterprises, our broadband companies here in the United States, have been really on guard and vigilant. Uh, Back when the first flares were sent up about uh, this issue of, of Huawei in 2012 during the Obama administration, and we've been on guard making sure that uh, we can continue to sort of keep our networks as resilient, as secure as possible, limit uh, the the integration of suspect uh, elements from companies like Huawei. Almost all uh, of our uh, broadband companies actually do not uh, integrate Huawei equipment Um the ones that still have some uh, are are you know, working diligently to make sure that they can rip it out and replace it with more diverse and more secure network inputs we've got a, a, a we've got a runway in front of us to accomplish a couple of things one is to ensure our, for our own part that we in the United States can have a more diverse and more competitive advanced manufacturing base there are existing entities like Ericsson and uh, yeah, and, uh, Samsung uh, uh, and others that uh, are already providing network equipment that is creating the framework for 5G deployment here in the United States and around the world, we need to also know that there are uh, other ways of increasing competition. Our networks, let's, let's remember, are becoming more virtualized, are becoming uh, more software-driven, and we should advance efforts and research and development to support them. To you know, look at where, for example, in our radio access network, we can you know, advance new standards for open radio access networks, uh, more virtualized radio access networks. It's all technical terms, but what it means is we need to bring new ways of thinking, more innovative, more entrepreneurially uh, to compete with network global network players like Huawei, who really do benefit from their sort of industrial policy, top-down support that they're serially getting from the government in Beijing. Right. Our well, innovation model has been a lot more flexible, you know, a lot more sort of permissionless, and I, and I think in the, in the end, we're gonna prevail because of that.
1: Yeah, all right, it's, it's really fascinating, especially through the lens of the U.S. and China, and, and as this continues to heat up, we are going to periodically check in with you folks, because look, 5G's already here, it's already here. Yeah. And, and, and and that's really what this is about. And in terms of you know, the escalations between the US and China, there are very different steps that can be taken. Not just closing down a consulate, not just tariffs on soybeans, but this is really what this battle is over in terms of in terms of what's uh what's been what's been going on so my my thanks to jonathan spalter president of u.s telecom for for coming on and, and and breaking down such a complex and important topic regarding 5g and huawei let's now turn back to politics as we await the start of president trump's daily corona virus task force briefing and ron bonjean's going to join us he's on the line he's a partner at rock solutions and of course a republican insider he's worked for everybody in town advised you know I don't want to tell. Advises a lot of lot of prominent Republicans. Is that good, Rod? Can I say that? What am I allowed to say? You sure can. You sure,
2: Kevin? You sure can, Kevin. It's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. No, no problem. Thank you. All right. So President Trump, he's doing these daily coronavirus task force briefings. What's the point? What are we learning? What are we gathering? Because most people, I think, have tuned them out. No, am I wrong?
2: Well, I have to say towards the end of the last briefings that he did back, what, in April, um, that after a while we weren't getting as much information as I think we hoped to get. This time around, just on the last – I mean, the last one he's – one he's done, have been much shorter, and he's provided much more succinct information. I don't know if it's necessarily, you know – cutting edge information that that he's announcing right there at the top, you know, at, during the briefing. But it is more succinct. He is following a script. It doesn't feel as if, uh, you know, he's riffing it like he did, you know, the hour and a half type of uh, briefings that he did before that really drowned everybody out. What I think he is sensing is that he needs to project leadership at a time where Americans are really questioning the information that they're getting from government as well as the media they're just confused that so they're getting mixed messages all over the place and the fact that he stood up there and said yeah wearing masks is a good idea um paraphrasing you know that he endorsed the idea of masks. finally i think was a good thing to do
1: so okay and i hear you on the mask, but like most americans right now are freaking out rightfully so they've got a lot of economic anxiety we just hear that republicans have got to some reach some type of deal And that $12,000 checks could be reinstated come mid-August and and additional funds uh, based upon family size, $500 per kid, uh, and and some other tiered approaches for other uh, individuals. But, you know, from an economic standpoint, this country's hurting. People want to know if their kids are going back to school. What can he do? He can't hold rallies. I mean, he can to some extent, but he can't really, you know— do the exact playbook as 2016. I mean, what are you hearing from folks who are advising this re-election campaign on how to, to turn it around, turn the corner? I think one of the
2: things, I mean, there's doing large rallies is definitely out. We saw what happened at Topeka, Kansas. I, um, I, I really think they should start thinking about doing their rallies at, you know, smaller smaller gatherings at airport hangars like he used to do during the campaign where you'd visit a dozen cities. There are six cities in a day and you'd hold uh, a venue at an airport hangar with the plane behind the president. Um, That's a very powerful image and you only need a few hundred people to participate. And of course you would feel safe because you'd safer because you'd be outside. And now that Trump's endorsed masks, then masks are now, now going to be more in vogue, hopefully. Um, but I, I, I also think it's a good idea for him to be doing these briefings because he's trying to communicate with people that he's trying to do something um, without having him on the air or, or, or visible beyond Twitter um, or a Fox News interview. You really you know, his supporters really aren't seeing him and, and people who are wondering where with all the uncertainty happening. Uh, in our country right now that scares a lot of us. We're all looking for leadership. And this is one way, I think, for him to show it.
1: You know, all right, I, I want to ask you even, we just got the two-minute warning, by the way, with regards to uh, President Trump. So if I cut you off, it's because I'm tossing to the president, but bunjin what sure. what, what about from foreign policy? Because we, we, we touched on China a little bit. You've got the divide right now within the Republican Party You know, we heard from Governor Hogan and whatnot. But on foreign policy, there's so many moving parts. You know, the border between the U.S. and Canada is still shut down. Okay, I mean, it's we're living in this—we're still in this moment. We're still in the thick of it. Why isn't he addressing the country as the commander-in-chief? Do you think that would be a strategy that he could use?
2: I mean, on foreign policy, the fact of the matter is people are just worried about where their next checks is coming from, if they're going to keep their job or if they're going to catch COVID-19. One of the last things they're thinking about is foreign policy. Unfortunately, um, it's just something that's not on the radar screen of many, many Americans. And most people aren't realizing that the border is still closed with Canada or what's really going on with international events when they're wondering if they can put their kids in school this fall. So, you know, I think it's important for him to have a commander in chief hat on, but it's more important for him to be addressing the domestic challenges that are facing the nation at this moment at this moment.